Matt Bowen. Two throws. This one aired out for Galloway. And with contact, it's picked off. Intercepted by Matt Bowen. NFL writer and analyst for ESPN. The ball came out. Right now, they're calling fumble. Matt Bowen knocked it out. Seven-year NFL veteran. We talked about it last week a little bit, Lawrence. You know, Dan was on vacation and all that. But uh, when you were there last week working, we talked about how... (laughs) 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 had to throw that in there. Fight me, Bowen. (laughs) Defensive back coach for IC Catholic football. One of the greatest things and most rewarding things about being a high school coach is to see the impact it can have on your student-athletes. Matt Bowen with Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. Let Matt Bowen talk. Shut up. Let's get football-y with Matt Bowen. We're not talking about Christian Juszczyk or Taylor Swift or heading back from Japan or any of that. We are talking X's and O's and people hitting each other because that's what we do. And I already already hear a, a sigh of frustration from our next guest, Matt Bowen, who joins us on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino Circa Las Vegas Dot com. Matt Bowen's on Twitter at Matt Bowen 41. What's up, man? I'm good, guys. And I look, uh, when you look at just this football game, I think you'll agree with me. With the personnel, the coaching, this is one heck of a football yes. game we're about to watch. I agree. It's a, it, that, that's what's kind of lost in all this. Yes. Is this, a, this could be a kick-ass football game. It could. And I start with, you know, one of the key matchups, Nick Bosa. Versus Chiefs offensive tackle Jawan Taylor. That's where my eyes are going to be on the first third down in the football game. Because Nick Bosa is the best speed to power rusher in the National Football League. I think he has an advantage there on Taylor. And if they can win that matchup, that changes everything for the 49ers in terms of how they want to play their coverages versus Mahomes. Because we've seen throughout the playoffs, if you're very defined and sit in zone coverage, Patrick Mahomes will find the openings, find the windows, and he'll move the ball consistently down the field. Yeah, so what, what do you do if you're them you're trying to stop him? Because that would kind of be my focus. And the reason that I say that is that mm-hmm. they haven't gotten enough production out of any of the guys that they've, they've had opposite of right. him. So, mm-hmm. so what do you do? do you, you, are you chipping? Are you putting a, a five technique over there? What are you doing? I think you have to do both. I think what you want to do uh, to, to limit Nick Bosa is one slide protection. Everyone understands it. Use tight ends, use the running backs to chip, but also how does San Francisco counter that? Well, they use their loaded fronts, and that's where you're going to have like an overload look, right? And now what you're telling them is we're going to scheme your protection. So now Nick Bosa gets the one-on-one we still want because of how we have lined up front. And that's another part of this chess match is both defensive coordinators, what they do with their defensive fronts, because that's going to allow them to create pressure and disrupt the pocket. How do you think the Niners' run defense is – whatever you say yeah. about, about the, the third down. I'm curious about the first and second down. I am too. Because they're dealing with a guy who – I don't know how long his career is going to be, but, <laughs> but as long as he's out there, he's, he's running like his hair is on fire in Pacheco. Yeah, but I would say Pacheco can get downhill. There's no question about it. And, Dan, look what Kansas City has done throughout the playoffs. More two and three tight end sets. Why are they doing that? because they can mix both gap and zone schemes. And this is for to watch with Andy Reid, how he attacks the edges, right? A lot of counters early, I believe. So we can kick out the defensive ends, both Bosa and Chase Young. And then where has San Francisco really struggled throughout the playoffs, Dan? On toss schemes, getting the perimeter, pin and pull, where you can create an angle off a reduced set to block down inside in those defensive ends and get the ball in the perimeter. I think Kansas City will do that early, but especially out of their multiple tight end sets. When you're dealing with Patrick Mahomes, it's 
it's clear that he is built for these types of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, one only needs to look at his career postseason performances, and it's of an MVP level. He's played 17 games in the postseason, and it's been right there with a 17-game MVP. If you're Brock Purdy, do you worry about that? Are are, are you going against the, the Kansas City defense, or are you going against mm. Patrick Mahomes? It's a great question because naturally a player is going to think that, right? that you have to outperform the other quarterback. You have to score more points. You have to create more explosive plays. But I think Brock Purdy, if you really study how he plays, he is so well-versed in how to run that system under Kyle Shanahan. He's a a perfect example of a timing and rhythm thrower. That's what he is. The ball comes out on time. He reads it very quickly. He throws with location. And as we saw against Detroit, when he has to play outside of structure, he can. But I think this is a game where Brock Purdy – has to play well within structure because he's going to be pressured. We know what the Chiefs do defensively under Spags. They're going to bring pressure. They're going to bring zero pressure. They're going to bring zone pressure. They're going to bring simulated pressure and try to disrupt that rhythm. And that's another key factor to this football game, how quickly Brock Purdy can read it out. We've talked about it before, but when I watch the Kansas City offense, I see things moving. I see their patterns are largely outbreaking. They're inside to outside, reduce the formation and force the opponent to play with an outside leverage that tries to keep everything inside. Take Mm -hmm. us through the defensive thought process there. If you know you're preparing in large part for outbreaking routes, regardless of man or zone, how do you get the advantage defensively? We have to maintain your leverage if you're a man coverage, right? But here's the key, Dan. Look at Travis Kelsey when he runs those deep outs and those deep corners. A lot of times he takes a hard inside release, right? Mm-hmm. And then works back up the field and then breaks to the outside. What he's trying to do there is manipulate the leverage of the defender, force him to move inside with him, and now you can stack on top and get to the to the top of the route where you need to be for Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, from a zone perspective, you know, and that's what San Francisco really is. I think there's 67.4% zone coverage, including the playoffs. Okay, so you're going to get a lot of those three-level flood routes you're talking about, Dan, where you're going to put the strong safety or the curl defender in conflict that he has to get to depth and keep the football in front of him so you don't give up those explosive plays in the deep corners, the deep outs to Travis Kelsey. And look, that's one thing San Francisco does very well. Their second-level defenders are outstanding, especially a player like Fred Warner. But I do think you'll see this. When they play two-man, okay, because they're going to play some man coverage, you have to. When they play two-man with two safeties over the top, I'd like to see if it's Fred Warner matched up against Travis Kelsey because I don't see a man matchup with San Francisco in the secondary, someone that can can win consistently against Kelsey. Well, they've got a bracket, Kelsey, don't they? I mean, I, I heard I heard Nick Costos this morning talking from a, mm. from a betting angle. He right. said he, is, he really doesn't find it that interesting because for the Chiefs, really only three guys are going to be dangerous touching the ball in Rasheed Rice, Kelsey, mm-hmm. and Pacheco. He said everybody right. else is a complimentary player, and maybe there's a, there's a, a, a trick play or a bust or a matchup right. on a personnel group, but for the most part, there's no secret as to where they want to go with the ball. I agree. And to your point, Dan, you look at what teams have done against Kelsey in the past. Look at Belichick and the Patriots when they've done in the past, have a linebacker stand over him, literally stand over him and, you know, jam and disrupt him at the line of scrimmage and carry him or deliver him to a safety down the field. So there are ways to limit his production. And that brings up another point. If they do that, Dan, 
who's the next player to make make the catch for them? Who's the next receiver that can get open consistently if they do limit Travis Kelsey? Okay, so I want to talk to you about one of those opportunities. Young players gaining trust of quarterbacks is mm-hmm. difficult. I feel like I've seen Rasheed Rice do that. How? How did he gain Patrick Mahomes' trust? I think over the course of the season, you saw him really start to develop in terms of his route running and especially what he can do after the catch, right? He's excellent after the catch. He has the ball career vision. He has the toughness to produce in the open field. So one thing is catching the football, right, Lawrence? I mean, that's where it has to start. Absolutely. Catching the football, right? The other thing is creating for the quarterback, where the quarterback can throw a crosser, a wide receiver screen, a deep over route, and you make the play for him. I've always said that. And, look, this goes back to when I played in Green Bay with Brett Favre, is you sometimes you have to make plays for the quarterback, too. Right, You can't expect the quarterback to be perfect every time in terms of location and timing, right? Not every time. So there's times where you have to make the play for him, and I think you've seen that with Rice this season. What I think is really fascinating about him is he's starting to do the stuff that makes the connection between Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes so great. He's finally figured out, I don't have to run to the coverage, Mm -hmm. I can just sit in zone situations. This is where Patrick Mahomes expects me to be. And I I don't have to, I don't have to run because the, what it said in the play, it's like he's starting to pick up on all the things that make players instinctive. And if you do that for Patrick Mahomes, he's going to find you. Yeah. That's elevated coverage awareness. And that's part of his development. I think it's a great point. You just brought up Lawrence with young receivers identifying what the picture does post-snap, right? What the safety rotation is. Where the underneath defenders are. Where can I find open grass? Where does Patrick want me to sit this route down so I can get it first down? And that, to me, is coverage awareness. Well, that's why when we talk about option routes, too, mm-hmm. when whether it's out of the backfield or whether there's this innate understanding of a choice. When, when you talk about somebody lining up over Kelsey, I don't know how they, they always seem to get it right Maybe mm-hmm. it's because we don't they don't run the highlight when they get it wrong or the ball doesn't go to him when they get it. It's possible <laughs> right. that there's a selection bias here. But it always seems that they say, look, he he can break this either way, and yet the ball's there. So right. I just how many times do they have to practice it, or is there just an unspoken understanding based on a slight shade or just depending which shoulder that they seem to know who's going to be where and when? I think that comes from a lot of developed chemistry over the years, playing together, the production they've had together, but also in their preparation, understanding who they're attacking, taking advantage of defensive weaknesses, not just in coverage, but in terms of personnel, how they can attack certain players in coverage. Because, look, everyone understands this. At the high school game, you can get away with it sometimes in college. But if you run a choice route the wrong way, opposite of what the quarterback is thinking, it's an interception in the NFL. It's that simple. It's a negative play for the offense. So you have to be on the same page consistently, and that's what we see with Kelsey Mahomes. Matt, what do you think of Kyle Shanahan's offense? Like, How would you describe what it tries to do to a defense? I think it's versatile. It's multiple. It takes advantage of numbers at the point of attack, both in the run game and the pass game, and they use a lot of misdirection and motion and post-snap movement to take advantage of defensive eye discipline. You know, what Kyle Shanahan runs, you know, outside zone, inside zone, power in the run game, leveled concepts. It's stuff we see every week in the NFL and at the college level, too. But it's how they do it. 
and how Kyle Shanahan seems to be a step ahead consistently and how he's preparing for plays that he might run in the first quarter to set up something later in the football game, right? And how good he is in game at adjusting to what defenses are doing against him. And I think it's one of the toughest offenses to prepare against one, because of the personnel they have, they're all interchangeable. Christian McCaffrey can play as an X receiver. Debo Samuel can play at running back. George Kittle can play in the slot. And that creates matchup advantages consistently when you're looking at what the defense is doing. What do you think it says about the players that they're able to make this offense work at the level that it's working at? I think it's extremely high football intelligence. There's no question about that because it is so multiple and there is so much asked of you to align in multiple spots, right? Where, and to use the motion pre-snap, how much motion they use pre-snap, you have to have high football intelligence and an understanding of what offensive football is and how you're attacking defensive coverage. You love those guys on the outside for Kansas City and their defense, correct? I do. Why? Because they're aggressive. Uh, you're talking about Sneed and McDuffie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Legereus Sneed will challenge anybody. Uh, the way he plays press coverage, competitive in press, excellent with his hands, quick with his footwork, has ball skills down the field, but also what they do in zone coverage because they play a lot of cover two in Kansas City. They'll spin late to it out of different personnel, but they play a lot of cover two. And to be a cover two corner, you have to be physical. You have to tackle. You have to be willing to cut off the football in the run game. And you have to have excellent zone vision or backfield vision to make plays in the football. And that's a big part of what they've done this year. Because, look, it's under it's easy when you look at Kansas City to talk about Andy Reid, Kelsey Mahomes. But really, you look at this defense and what Spags has done this year, it's a top five unit in the NFL. And it'll play a major role on Sunday night. We talk about the play callers and all of the intricate play designs that can come out from Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. And mm-hmm. Yet, so much of what the Chiefs do is based on counting on a breakdown and scramble drill. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you are running the defensive back practices right now on their spongy practice playing surface, <laughs> how, how, how are you advising they prepare for the the unpreparable, essentially. Yeah, it is. Really. You, you have to have scramble drill at least twice on your practice script, at least twice. And the scramble drill is when you simulate scramble situations and how wide receivers convert their routes. And that's something you have to study. What 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 is Kelsey doing underneath route when Patrick Mahomes gets outside the pocket? Where does he go? It's not just looking for open grass. There's a theory behind it, right? Every offense has that when a play breaks down. The thing about Patrick Mahomes that makes it go so well is his high-level pocket awareness or high-level pocket instincts. He knows when to pull the ball down. He knows when to attack open rush lanes. The first thing with Mahomes, he is moving to throw, right? That's what he does. He moves to throw. But also, when he gets out into the open field, he is excellent at finding the first down marker and picking up the sticks. I think he's the best scrambling quarterback in the NFL because he combines the throwing traits with his movement ability. Wanted to ask you about the three local mm-hmm. Hall of Famers that that the Bears are hopefully going to right. to be, be made the, over the next twenty four hours. Let's start with Mongo because you're a kid that grew up watching those teams. What what do you think this means for 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 you as a fan and for Mongo to be recognized this way and being put into the Hall of Fame? And he did, and that's when I first started watching pro football. Uh, it was really nineteen eighty four. Uh, that Bears team that lost in the NFC Championship game. So I grew up watching that Bears defense. Uh, that's the best defensive front I've ever seen. Um, 
and Mongo was a big part of what they did defensively. And look around him, the Hall of Famers that are already in off that defense. I think you have to take a hard look at Mongo and say, look, he was a major part of the best defense we've ever seen in the history of the National Football League. He was extremely disruptive on the defensive front. He's a guy that could play all three downs for you. I think he checks a lot of boxes if you're a Hall of Fame voter and saying who should be in or who should not be in, especially the time that's gone by and the support he has to be in the Hall of Fame. The other two guys were your contemporaries. Mm-hmm. You, you were in the league when Devin Hester emerged and when Julius Peppers was out there wrecking people. What do you yes. think of those two guys? Um, automatic in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. True difference makers. Look, Devin Hester's, uh, I mean, you can make a case, and I believe that he's the best punt returner in the history of the National Football League. Because we used to watch tape in the Bears, whether it was cross-check or preparing to play them, and he changed everything we did from a kicking perspective. Everything. And look, this is why Devin Hester was so good, because as a punt returner, what do you have to do first? You have to get 10 yards, get a first down. for well, the Secure offense. the ball. Right, right. Catch the football and get a first down. That's one less first down the offense has to get. So he was excellent at getting up the field, almost like an outside zone runner, Dan, where you press outside mm-hmm. and then get vertical. And then once you get past 10 yards, now you become that creative player with the football in your hands. And he was fearless, fearless, but he was so good in the open field at setting up, to, setting up the coverage, finding open grass, and then exploding up the field. And that changed everything we had to do. We couldn't kick the ball to him. So we were willing to give up field position, kick it out of bounds, kick it short, just so he couldn't have the football in his hands. That's a difference maker. Julius Pepper is one of the best defensive players I've ever watched. And I remember games we played against him, whether, especially when he was down in Carolina. And you're watching him from the sideline saying that, that Man, this is ridiculous, the stuff he is doing off the edge, right? Impact player, disruptive, um, used his physical tools at the highest level. One of the best football players I've ever seen. He doesn't make sense. Like, when you look at Pep, and he's 6'7", and he's 300 pounds just lean. It, yes. it's, it's like if you try to create that player, Madden would be like, no, you can't, you can't create a player that that six seven is three hundred pounds and has ninety nine speed. That's that's not fair to the offense that you're playing against. Yeah, I remember when we were coming off the field. This was in Carolina uh, when I was with Washington. I think it was 04, 03. We were coming off the field and you know, we went by each other. I looked up at him. I said, I, 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 I'm very happy I do not play offense today. You know. <laughs> Such a because a I look giant like, human being. I look like a like a JV player next to him. That's what I look like. Yes, it's pretty crazy. Matt, enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks for the time and the breakdown, sir. All right, guys, thank you. That's Matt Bowen. We have uh, another concurring report regarding the likelihood of these Hall of Famers. Now the Tribune has weighed in. Colleen Kane and Dan Weederer saying that Devin Hester is expected to be formally announced tonight and joined by Steve McMichael. And they say very likely pass rusher Julius Peppers. So let's uh, talk about that ourselves when we come back on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. In Odyssey Station. You know, everybody's so concerned about why they wouldn't even win another one. Maybe you should have the perception, you know, back in the early 80s when we started winning, all these are these are overachievers. And after the Super Bowl, we went to underachieving, did we? Well, maybe you should look, come at it from my point of view. Maybe the bunch of slappies we were, we're lucky we won it one year. 
That's the voice, unmistakably, of Steve McMichael, who is believed to be headed to the Hall of Fame officially tonight. And to me, all you need to say is that when he retired, he was the all-time leader in sacks among NFL defensive tackles. It's that part, I think, that people tend to forget because, you know, Mongo was a wild man. He was on TV. He was, you know, putting lipstick on Gene Greco and had the chihuahua on the desk and he was a four horseman and all of this other stuff. But when you look at the actual production, it it's undeniable. And I'm glad that he's getting this. And I'm glad for, you know, I actually ran into Hamp a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about it because, you know, I, I speak Hamp. <laughs> and and I told him how much you have an advanced degree. I do. Yeah. And and I was telling him how much I appreciated seeing videos of Hamp taking like the band up to Mongo and performing and singing for them for him and his family. And I thought it was great. And he he was he was sullen because obviously this is his best friend and he's seeing him go through something that's horrible. I'm glad that Mongo is getting the opportunity to get the recognition as a player and not just a personality. Like that, that, that to me is is what's happening here and it's it's phenomenal to see. For the other two guys, man, let me tell you a story, Dan. Remember Super Bowl week? Remember all of us were down there? Can never forget it. We were down there. So you guys were, were made it in what Sunday night? Zach and I had been there since the f- previous Friday afternoon. So we were we were gone. Like we were grinding by the time we got to the 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 Prince performance on Friday. And the what I think is my favorite moment on the score was our final Friday Bears hit. Two words with with you guys in the afternoon. It was off the hook. Epic. Like absolutely epic. I did a pregame show for the score that day. I was the last person in the convention center before the game started. So I get on a bus, and it was just me on the bus. And I'm like, man, am I going to make it? Security, people had already been complaining about what the security was like, but there was no one there because everyone was already in the building and in their seats. So I, I breeze through security. I sit down at my seat. Like, I get there, and I'm like, okay, I made it. And then this happened. Adam Vinatieri has it on the tee. The Colts in all white. The Bears, navy blue and white. You white know, numerals are about ready to go. By the people in the stands, they don't need seats today because they're all standing. Vinatieri on the approach platform. Popping here in Miami. It sails to the far side around the eight-yard line to Hester. Under it and to the middle with the 15 to the 20. Breaks free of the 25 to the 30. To the outside. 40. Midfield. 40. 30 to the Colts. 20. 15. Hester 5. Oh! Yes way. One of the greatest moments in Chicago sports history. All the videos of people like watching that in bars, in their houses. I, I like I literally like sat down and was like gathered myself and I was like, okay, that's the pregame show's done. I'm here to cover a football game. And then in the football game, two things happened. One, I had realized that Tony Dungy lied to me. Two, Devin Hester's out here doing the most amazing thing ever. Like, picturesque. And the thing about that stadium is that it was, I think, 
nine to one Bears fans to Colts fans. Like Bears fans were up in there deep. And you saw it and you heard it. When when Hester makes that second cut and you're like, Uh oh. He gone. Mm-hmm. Like when when you like And watch his teammates. Watch them. When when you see all the hands go up in the back, like there there it is. Yeah. Good luck, Vinatieri, because you're not going to catch him. You're not going to have the right angle, and he's going to go. And then Devin Hester goes, and he – it was all season. Everything that Matt Bowen was talking to us about in the last segment, it used to be that each week we would get to talk with the opposing coach, and we get the really terrible phone that the Bears had, and we gather around the phone, and we ask questions of the opposing coach. And in that season, inevitably, the first question was – what are you going to do about Devin Hester? And coaches threw all sorts of stuff at us. Like, we're going to kick it out of bounds. We're going to try and sky the ball. We're going to use angles. We're going to try to make him you know, travel to go catch the ball. They would do any and everything to try and make him a non-factor. And to me, that is what solidifies him. If if every week, if you're a specialist and every week you're at the top of the list on the scouting report, that says to me that you have had an incredible impact on the game. Well, there's some melancholy as part of this, too. And that is that you're old. The kickoff is going away. Yeah. That whether you like it or not, whatever you have to say, we 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 now have the opening touchback. And even the fact that that's a Hall of Fame kicker in the Super Bowl kicking it to the eight and our my friends are like. The eight? Like, what the hell's wrong with you? Kick it out the back of yeah, the end zone. It. Well, we now they kick it from a different place because it's you're you're supposed to kick it out of the back of the end. That's your job. Your job is to kick it out of the end zone. Kickoffs in in the next few years are going to be gone. So this whole idea of somebody building a resume based on kickoff returns, there isn't going to be another. This may be it ever, ever. And if they want to retroactively start talking about Billy White Shoes Johnson, talking about Rick Upchurch, or... Dante Hall. I'm trying to remember some of the other names. Oh, Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson is on there, or who was the the guy on the Browns? Metcalf. Terrence Metcalf. Eric. Eric Metcalf, not Terrence Metcalf. Eric Metcalf. He was... Terry was the dad. Yes. Terry Metcalf was a St. Louis Cardinal running back. But the... This... He may be it. This could be the only one who even gets enough chances to build this kind of reputation. I think he is it. I love Brian Mitchell, too. He's it. If if the Hall of Fame is about the best, and you have probably a lack of representation when it comes to specialists overall in the Hall of Fame, he's it. He's the best person. And for everyone who's saying, well, if we're going to put specialists in, why isn't Patrick Manley going in? Because you don't game plan a long snapper. No. No matter how good you are at holding or long snapping or anything else that you do, you don't game plan around that. Now, let me connect Devin Hester with Julius Peppers. Because as someone who covered football, it is still the damnedest thing that I've ever seen on a football field. In a practice, one of the practices that are under the lights, you know, the ones where Devin Hester would get the in the kickoff and, you know, everyone would be like, oh, my God, he scored again, when they were just kind of doing half-speed stuff. 
Well, they did a full speed thing with Hester. And I saw Julius Peppers catch him. No, you didn't. I, I've heard this story before. I don't believe you. I refuse to believe it's true. It is true. What? It is true. Julius Peppers took off on an angle. And you're like, oh, 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 my God. And he caught Devin Hester. Well, he caught Michael Vick from behind. That, that, that I remember vividly. When you see this 300-pounder come out of nowhere and, <laughs> and run down Michael Vick. Like, what? That's not supposed to be possible. You're not supposed to be six foot seven and 300 pounds and be able to run with Devin Hester. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that gets you recruited by men in black. Yeah. You're not supposed to be able to do that. No, that's the kind of thing that men in black comes after you because you're an alien. <laughs> but no, remember? Remember when, when Tommy Lee Jones is telling the cephalopod? He's, yeah, he's telling Rip Torn that it's like that this guy ran down. Whatever it was at the, at, at the Guggenheim. Yeah, yeah, he ran him down. That's why they, they wanted Cephal- him. Cephalophoid? Cephalof... Wait. Whatever Jim Boylan said. Whatever Jim Boylan said Chris Dunn was. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't. You seen that movie? I have. I've seen that movie. But Julius Peppers was... There's, there I still know people who think that he didn't get everything out of that frame. And he's a Hall of Fame player. I mean, think about that. That if if, if it it's it feels like it was maximized, but if there are people who are in the know that feel, felt like it wasn't maximized, what does that even look like? The other thing you ask about these these Hall of Fame honors is that it's met with reverence and meaning by the people who are being enshrined. And I know in McMichael's case, whether he can express it or not, that it's deeply felt. And it seems to be that way with Devin as well, that this is incredibly important to him. Yeah. And as someone who covered Devin from the moment that he walked in the door, I really appreciate what's kind of happened with him. And we forget, like he was 21 years old when he got here. And, you know, now he's, a, what, 40? And, and you're seeing him, the, the maturation of him as a person has been fun to watch from the shy kid that would only talk to me on the record if I was by myself. Like, I would get to talk to Devin, but if people started to come around, he would get nervous, and he didn't want to do it. And I would have these conversations with him in the locker room, and... Some of the stuff like it some of the stuff that he would say is stuff that you hear like prodigies talk about. Where you go, how are you able to do that? And he's like, Well, I look at the colors and I run away from the opposite color. And I'm like, well, yeah. He could also describe everyone does that. No, no, no. He would describe not not running to what he's seeing running to what what he was seeing told him about what was going to be there when he got there. Yep. And that's the kind of thing that people say they can do, but they can't. I'll say this, that if I were helping to write his speech, if he asked me to help him write his speech, or to, if I were giving a speech to to induct him, what, what, what I would like to say, if I were him, 
would be for someone who, from the moment his career began, starting in high school, we've talked to his high school coaches, his college coaches. No pro, one knew pro what coaches. to do with him. He's never had a position. Yep. They never knew. They didn't know what position he played. He was a defensive back. He was a running back. He was a wide receiver. He would get direct snaps. They didn't know where to put him. And I think for him to stand there with a gold jacket on and say, today, I have a position. I'm the greatest return man of all time. Yep. And maybe the greatest we'll ever see. So all of this, all of the hand-wringing about where do you play him, he doesn't have a position, he doesn't have a position, he can say, yes, I do. And I stand in front of you today. My position, where you play me, is the best return man of all time. I think that's a mic drop. Yep. I hope they, I hope they is, uh, he leans into it because he deserves it. Absolutely deserves it. So does Pep. So does Mongo. It'd be it'd be a good night for our guy Jared Payton because he's tight with Devin, and obviously Mongo is like his second dad, third dad, right? Because he had Matt Suey too looking out for him. So this is going to be a, a big emotional weekend for our buddy Jared Payton. When we come back, there's something that's going on that has to do with the Super Bowl that should never go on if it has to do with the Super Bowl. Dan and I will discuss that next here on The Score. Bernstein at Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station, 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 Station. That work is being done every single day. We've had 23 experts out there. We've had the union out there. All of them think that's a very playable surface. It's softer than what they have practiced on, uh, but that happens. Um, it's well within all of our testing standards. Uh, it is something that we think all our experts, as well as neutral field inspectors, have all said unanimously that it's a playable field. Never doubt neutral field inspectors. Ever. Something. Our coverage of the big game on the score is presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, Solo Stove. Com. And don't forget about our big plans on Sunday. If you are trying to figure out what you're going to do to kill time during the day, come hang. 670 The Score and Circus Sports Illinois. We're throwing a big game party Sunday. Benchmark in Old Town. It's Molly and Haw. It's us, the Bernstein and Holmes Show with Layla Rahimi, Parkins and Spiegel, all broadcasting live from noon to three, getting you ready for that big game between Kansas City and San Francisco. You must have at least $100 in your Circus Sports Illinois app to attend. Doors open at noon. So go to circusports.com to sign up for the invite and more information. So here's how it works. When the the Super Bowl descends on a city, depending on which conference is hosting, that conference designated team gets to go to the home of the team city. So with the Chiefs being from the AFC, they get dibs on the, the Raiders facility. Okay? Fair enough. So the NFC team has to figure out something else to do. And they figured out that they would go to UNLV. UNLV had a great year this year, but it's been a program that has been forgotten about for a long time. And their facilities aren't great. I've actually run on this field. And I thought it was interesting because my my feeling about it was the same as theirs, is that it's soft. Now, the NFL 
came in a week before and put down a new surface on top of the soft surface that was already there at UNLV. They use scores, like a softness score, and the softness score for most play, like an average softness score is a 70. And most people that have been, according to reports on this, that have been around that field have said the softness score for that facility is in the 50s, which usually is unacceptable. Here's what I don't get. With the NFL making as much money as they do, with them being lauded in a lot of respects for being the most prepared league, the league that that does things the right way, I don't understand how in the last two Super Bowls we've had to have conversations about some sort of field not being right. Last year, the actual Super Bowl field was horrible. People were falling and slipping all over the place. Uh Uh-huh. Because remember they said they had the magic sod guy, the 99-year-old guy who was in charge of the field was horse crap. It's, it is, um, I have no dog in this. It is unfair to the 49ers that they have to practice on a field that is substandard. And I know what Roger said, but Roger often lies. And I, I know that they, oh, we had everyone out here. We had the NFL PA out here and all that stuff. All I know is that there's enough people around the 49ers saying this is not acceptable that I'm willing to listen to it. If this is your biggest thing that you have every single year, the participants in it should feel comfortable as they get ready to take the field. There shouldn't be an advantage one way or the other. The the NFL standard needs to be raised if this is the NFL's crown jewel event. Or you do it like you would do it for an NBA shoot-around where you, you share a field. And I know it's hard logistically with everything everybody has, but you let both teams play on the very same field at different times of the day. You would, you would think that that would be a way that it could work. You know, going back to the, the Bears Super Bowl where the Bears were in Miami proper and... The Colts were in Fort Lauderdale where they were kind of based out of. But it's just, this is too big of an event to have something like this get in the way of it. Just make it uniform. Like There should be a standard. And this isn't like, everyone knew where, where the Super Bowl was going to be. And UNLV season was over a long time ago. You had plenty of time to get this up to standard. And the fact that two months after UNLV's season ends, you don't have it up to standard, that's unacceptable. They should do better. Jason Leisure is going to join us with a Bears perspective and Super Bowl thoughts when we return on the score.